Uh, hello and welcome. I'm Josh Meckler, uh, one of the leaders in the church, and I have this opportunity today to speak. Uh, welcome. If this is your first time to Grace City, thank you so much for coming. Um, glad that you could join us, and yeah, you've come and joined us in our Advent series, O Come, Let Us Adore Him. I hope everyone is enjoying this Christmas season. We're getting quite close now. Is everyone enjoying the snow? When it's not ice or slush these days. Uh, and everyone else enjoying the Christmas music at everywhere? Or is everyone starting to get sick of it yet? Uh, people are enjoying it. Very good. And so, you've come at the perfect time for this series. Today, we'll be focusing on a guy named John the Baptist. Now, he might not necessarily be the most festive character. Uh, Let me tell you a few things about him. He's an individual who spent most of his life living in the wilderness. He's described as wearing camel fur for clothing, eating locusts and wild honey for food, and also he's famous for at times calling the religious figures uh, around broods of vipers. So it doesn't take you long to kind of realize this might not necessarily be the most naturally festive character, or who knows? Maybe uh, move over ugly Christmas sweaters. The new fashion trend is camel fur rags. Only $599 at Nordstrom's. Everyone is wearing them these days. Or what about his food, the diet of locusts and honey? You know, I think you can get that at Starbucks these days uh, to go along with your venti gingerbread frappuccino. And with it being Starbucks, it's only $7.99 per locust. And also, what about where he lived? I'm sure he was hanging wreaths everywhere, you know, bows, ornaments, decking the hills with bells of holly. And yeah, and, or what was he saying? Calling people broods of vipers. That's perfect for a Christmas card. Best wishes in the holiday season, my dearest brood of vipers. Some nice calligraphy. I'm sure these Christmas cards will sell out. So as you can see, this might not be the most expected individual to have uh, as the center of the topic for a Christmas series. But in many ways as well, he wasn't the most expected individual to fulfill the role he did for God. The unexpected is not necessarily bad. Especially when God's involved, the unexpected can be quite amazing. And we'll see that today in the topic and in the scripture passage. Now I'll start with today's scripture. I'll be reading from Luke 1, starting 57 to 80. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. They made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all the neighbors, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. And his father Zechariah 
was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hands of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to, light to, uh, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. Now, I'll start off by first looking at where today's events start out. What was the context? What was happening? We see it starts off with a joyous occasion. We see everyone's coming around, the neighbors, the family of Elizabeth and Zechariah, to take part in this wonderful event. And it's even made more wonderful when we know what happened in the previous weeks in the series uh, and how amazing this birth was for Elizabeth. In Luke 1, 25, we see, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. From the previous weeks, we learned that Zechariah and Elizabeth were in their old age. They had not had a child until this point, which was a very tough place to be in this society. For Elizabeth, she carried shame because of this, that she wasn't able to provide a child for her husband. And tragically, she had been looked down upon for many years. Now, at the point when all hope must have been lost, when she was in her old age, she now gave birth to a child. We saw in the previous weeks the reputation of this woman was restored in society, and she was suddenly in the good books. And we see, right now, everyone had heard about this, and they'd come to celebrate, both the neighbors and all those who loved Elizabeth and Zechariah. Now, what started with a joyous, wonderful, or wonderful occasion with the birth and then the celebration, the tone changed quite quickly. We see that uh, a debate starts. Everyone wants to figure out what to name the child. It seemed like the logical choice for the group. Well, we'll name it Zechariah. We'll, we'll maintain the trend of the change in this family's standing. Not only would Zechariah have a son, but he would have a son that takes on his name. This seemed like an easy decision. Names were very important in this society, and that's one thing to take note on. It's not so much as it is today. Names weren't merely used to distinguish identity. Names had a deeper meaning at that point. They could define the nature and character of the individual who took on the name. We see many examples of this throughout the Bible. We have individuals like Abram, who had his name changed by God, Uh, to Abraham, which means father of many nations, to represent the plan that God had for him. We also see other examples where individuals lived up to the name they were given, Uh, just like 
Jacob, whose name means supplanter, who supplanted his older brother Esau for his inheritance. So its names are very different than we perceive them today. And it was an important thing on what name would be given to this child. And as such, it seemed like a reasonable request that, oh, of course this child would take on his father's name. But Elizabeth had a different idea. We saw in the previous weeks that the angel had prophesied on what the name the child would have. The name would be John. And as such, Elizabeth pushed for the name, for this to be the name of the child. Now, it probably seemed like an odd choice to the group. They likely weren't aware of what the angel had said, and they just wanted to honor the the, uh, father. But God had a better plan. While the group might have been well-meaning, their plan could not, was no match for the will of God. God's plan was more gracious and incredible than the group could have imagined. We now see this tension of two names. The first, carrying on the name of the, the father, honor, respect. And it's even a great name. We learned in previous weeks that Zechariah means the Lord has remembered. So there's nothing wrong with the name. But there was something even greater that needed to be communicated in John's name. It would point towards how God would use John. And the, the name John means Jehovah has been gracious. And this, this name points to God's mercy. It points to God's character. That this individual John, who would go on to play an important role, continuously the message would be communicated to everyone he meets that God is gracious. People would hear about the nature of God. And this name was chosen. The group asked Zechariah what the child should be named, and he wrote down on the tablet on what the, that his name should be John. We often think we know what's best. We all often think, we, while we can be well-meaning, we think we know how things should turn out. But it, we often can't see what God has planned for us. And it, it isn't until later where we see how much more incredible it was than what originally we hoped for, originally what we thought would occur. We think we can will something into existence, head this certain direction, that we know best, that we understand what should happen. But God always has an incredible plan, a gracious, wonderful plan. And we see God's graciousness in the passage from today. First, in how God used Zechariah and what happened during this time. Last week, we learned, or two weeks ago, we learned about how God interacted with Zechariah. We see in Luke 1 that Zechariah was face-to-face with an angel, that he had a message for him. Now, it should be noted that Zechariah is a priest, an individual who dedicated his life to God. This individual is now face-to-face with an angel, with a message from God, and it's interesting the response Zechariah gave. He actually did not believe at that point. Face-to-face with an angel, an individual who devoted his life to God, didn't believe at this point. But God had grace through this. The first example of grace might be a surprising one. In the, the first case of grace, God disciplined Zechariah. He made him mute. Now, it might be something surprising, discipline as a grace, but it really can be an incredible, wonderful thing. That God didn't desire for Zechariah to remain as he was. God didn't desire for him just to keep on going, acting as he was. He desired to change him, to bring him closer. God had grace through this. God desired to use him as we will later see. So he made him mute. 
We can often think and look back at many characters in the Bible and with a feeling of superiority that, oh, if I was faced with an angel, of course I would believe. But it's very easy to look and realize that how often do I forget how amazing God is and how gracious he is? I get into a situation and I'm disappointed it doesn't turn out the way I want it to. I get sad about some sort of event. But how many times has God been gracious in the past? How many times has he been faithful? And, and we see this in this case, that even an individual who devoted his life to God, face-to-face with an angel, yeah, lacked faith in this moment. But this wasn't the end. We see another example of God's graciousness in the fact that God is faithful. We see that during this time when Zechariah didn't believe, when he was mute, a child was still born to Elizabeth. Zechariah was still given a son. God's faithfulness was not contingent on Zechariah's faith. And how, again, another example of grace was extended further, that Zechariah would have a second chance. That during this time of discipline, God was using the months of silence. God saw something in Zechariah's heart that needed to be changed. And we do see that Zechariah had a different approach. Now, with the choice of what to name the child, Zechariah did not seek to have the child take on his name. He did follow what the angel said. The child would be named John. And now, in a final wonderful incredible act of grace. God desired now to use Zechariah. Zechariah's speech was restored, and he was able to worship God. And we saw this event actually change the group who was around. It was no longer about formalities. The group didn't so much care that the child would take on the name Zechariah. No, rather they were talking about, how is God going to use this child? The hand of the Lord is on this child. And then we see Zechariah begin to prophesy. We see in Luke, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. And we see in this moment, it starts to point towards what God's doing, what incredible event is coming. God is going to provide salvation for his people, provide salvation for humanity. And this has been an important event. We see right here, it mentions that these events have been spoken about by holy prophets. Throughout the Old Testament, the events that we're leading up to have been prophesied about. There are between 200 and 456 different prophecies about the Savior. This has been something the Bible has, the events of the Old Testament have been leading up to. Since the fall of Adam, since Adam disobeyed God, since there's been a separation between humanity and God, God has been continuously pointing towards the arrival of the Savior. God has been continuously pointing towards his graciousness. We see as well in today's uh, prophecy the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all of our days. So there's the Savior coming, and now we're also seeing 
that what are we being saved for? And I think it's one interesting thing to note is verse 74, which points to that being delivered from our enemies so that we can serve without fear. And this might be something that is surprising for some, that we are being set free in order to serve, that we are being able to free, be freed to serve God. It might not necessarily always be seen as something positive to serve, but in many ways, we are always in servitude to something. Are you you're pursuing your career? Are you in servitude to money? What are you serving? And the, the alternative, the option that opens up in the events that today's scripture are leading up to, is you have the option to serve God. And this, this servitude, its burden is light. And I can tell you, it's a wonderful, incredible thing to serve God. To see those around you come to experience the same joy, to see individuals come to love Jesus, to see lives transformed, to be along for this incredible journey while God does incredible works in all those around you. I can tell you, at times it may not be easy, at times it may be difficult, at times it may be tiring, but there's an uncomparable, incredible joy and peace that comes in it. Nothing else compares. And yeah, it's a beautiful, wonderful servitude. And we see in the scripture as well how a lot of today's events are leading up to how an individual, John, was able to serve God. We see Zechariah begin to prophesy about what his child would do. Verse 76 points to, A new child will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. Now let's first go back and look at who is the individual that God chose to be this prophet, to take on this role. It is a bit of an unexpected choice that God would choose an individual who lived in the wilderness, would merely wear rags, who was born to a barren woman in her old age, to a father who did not believe an angel who was standing right in front of him. It's, it's a bit of an unexpected choice. And there's such grace in this choice that God would choose uh, these individuals as parents, that God would choose John to be the one who would take on this incredible, wonderful message. And it shows the faithfulness and grace of God throughout this story, how, he, how God changed Zechariah, how he would choose him to be the father, and how John would be the one who would take on this role. Such wonderful grace. Now, what was this role that John would take on? It's a role in which was prophesied even in the Old Testament. It was one that someone would come to prepare the way for the Lord. Now, what does that mean, to prepare the way for the Lord? We see a few of the events kind of point to two aspects how John was able to prepare the way for the Lord. First, I briefly mentioned some of the controversial things he discussed. He called the religious figures of the time broods of vipers. And this was, would be a very controversial to, thing to say. An individual who lived in the wilderness wearing rags, coming and telling the most important people of the time, you're broods of vipers. And it, this wasn't just name-calling. He also challenged how these religious figures viewed themselves. 
these individuals thought they, they were great. The, the nation of Israel thought they were in good standing. But John had a first point at some deeper problem, that they were not good enough. That these religious figures, all their actions, everything they have worked towards, everything they are striving towards was not enough. They were missing something deeper. And this was John's first role, was to point to the necessity of a savior for Israel. And he pointed it in himself. He realized his own limitations throughout the scripture. It wasn't about John pointing to himself. It was pointing towards the desperate position that Israel was in. But this was not the end of the role. It wasn't, you're in trouble, Israel. You're in trouble, religious figures. That's where you are. No. There was an answer coming to the problem that Israel faced. John, just as his name would suggest, points towards God's graciousness, that humanity in its desperate position would not be left there. We see this in the scripture, 77, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to guide the light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. Salvation was coming. Forgiveness for sins. We were being reconciled at this point. While humanity had fallen, we were in desperate need of a Savior, and this Savior was coming. John, in preparing the way for the Lord, would point towards the Savior who would soon be born, the Savior who was soon coming, Jesus Christ. And with this, we see the two graces of today's story. The first aspect of grace was God's graciousness in using Zechariah and changing his heart in how he would use John. And this is a grace we can often experience in our lives, that God is here with us. God loves us. God deeply understands us and is desiring to draw us to him. And we also see now the even greater graciousness that John would point towards, the ultimate graciousness, that God did not desire for us to be separated from him, that God desired for us to be reconciled, that he sent his son in order that we could be in a relationship with him. And it points again towards the kind of the unexpected turn that the ceremonies in today's story would take. The individuals who first came just focusing on, yeah, what should we name the child? Just focusing on formality. Something more incredible than they could ever imagine was going on. It's more than just the respectability change of these individuals. God's gracious, wonderful plan was coming to fruition. Our gracious God has an incredible plan for us. And he has an incredible plan throughout the entire scripture that he's been pointing towards not only the necessity of a savior, but towards the savior, Jesus Christ. And for those of you not yet a Christian, this incredible, wonderful mercy is available to you. You can be in a relationship with the God most high. You can experience the incredible peace and joy of serving God. You can experience the incredible peace and joy in being in a relationship with God. God being along with you, drawing him to you. And for those of you uh, who are a Christian, I hope during this series, O Come, Let Us Adore You, I hope this gave you another reason 
to glorify and worship God, the God who's been with you along, all, along this journey, a God who has graciousness for you, who's here to for, forgive you, to, is here to change you and draw you into him. We serve such a wonderful, gracious God. Thank you. I'm going to pray briefly. Thank you, God, so much. Thank you for your incredible love for us. Thank you for your graciousness in our lives, God. Thank you that you desire to draw us to you. Thank you that you sent your Son. Thank you that for your incredible love for us, for humanity, God. You are so incredible, and your plan is way more incredible than we can imagine. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity to worship you. Thank you for the wonderful opportunity to serve you, God. Thank you. Here we go.